it's crazy that these huge grossing films we just expected it and we thought it was totally normal but it was kind of the a crazy thing to happen yeah and it's magical definitely <laughs> Not just because it was disney but it, it, it is it truly is listening to Atlas Now Streaming, the podcast where we review your favorite movies, television shows, and documentaries available on streaming platforms. Atlas Now Streaming is produced by Atlas Medstaff with your hosts, Jamie Zarlingo and Allison Mergens. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Atlas Now Streaming. My name is Jamie. And I'm Allison. Today we have a slightly different episode. Uh, if you remember on our page, Atlas and Friends, last week we posted a poll on what your favorite 90s Disney movie is, animated specifically. And yeah. non-Pixar. Yes. So unfortunately, one of a few of you did vote for um, Toy Story, which is one of my favorite movies of all time. Disney, Pixar, or otherwise. Um, but unfortunately, we are excluding Pixar from uh, this episode. Um, if you remember, we did The Little Mermaid. That was your guys' number one choice for the 80s. For the 90s, it's a little difficult because there are so many out there. And that's going to be a big part of this episode. We're going to talk about all those movies. Yes, they basically released a new movie every year of the 90s. Mm-hmm. Every summer, they came out with a new movie and we'll dive more into this in the second half of the podcast but it's the disney renaissance Hell after yeah. the dark ages of disney in the, the dark ages in the animation and the animation world so uh the top five movies that were voted on our survey were beauty and the beast mulan aladdin lion king and hercules First one we're going to talk about, we're going to just briefly go over these plots with you. You probably have seen these movies hundreds of times, whether (laughs) you yourself or your children watch them. These are all classics. And in fact, I actually watched two of them this weekend or last weekend, I should say, with my son. Um, He didn't really watch it. I did. But um, (laughs) um, I mean, they still hold up. I love all of these, some of them more than others, but I mean, when I think of my childhood and I think of going to the movies and I think of the, you know, the movies that, you know, I watched over and over at home, it's these movies. Totally. It's crazy as our perspective as 90s babies that we got to grow up in the golden age mm-hmm. of Disney animation. You know, Pixar is great, but you think about, you know, how many year spanned between um, Finding Nemo and Finding Dory or Incredibles 1 to Incredibles 2. You know, they didn't have a huge hit movie. They don't have a huge hit movie that comes out every year. So we got hit after hit every mm-hmm. summer. And it was, it's crazy that these huge grossing films, we just expected it and we thought it was totally normal. But it was kind of the a crazy thing to happen. Yeah, and it's magical. Definitely. <laughs> Not just because it was Disney, but it, it, it is. It truly is. And um, again, we'll get to all of that later. But first, let's just kind of go over these top five movies. So we're going to go in order of 
what you guys voted on. So the number one by a landslide was Beauty and the Beast, which came out in 1991. And um, one thing that we thought was interesting about all these top five is they all have a live action remake. Yes. Which is interesting. Hercules and Mulan have not come out yet. Beauty and the Beast came out, oh gosh. 2017. 17. And Aladdin and the Lion King both came out this year, which is, uh, and technically Lion King isn't live action. It's CGI, CGI that looks live action. But, I mean. We'll talk more about those semantics. Yeah. <laughs> um, so Beauty and the Beast. Let's kind of dive into the basic plot of this one. So Belle, she lives in this French town, and it was purposely drawn for her to have this blue dress, unlike everybody else in this kind of dingy town. Her dad's an inventor. She loves to read. All these other people in the town are grumpy, and they They are... think she's weird. Yeah, because she likes to read, and she's so beautiful, and um, dad's crazy yeah he creates all these crazy things the townspeople um kind of come after him for all of his crazy inventions personally beauty and the beast is not one of my favorites it's not and so we were really kind of upset that it was number one to be honest i mean the animation's beautiful and the movie itself is is great to look at i don't just personally really like the story it's very Stockholm syndrome and it's not the most redeeming story. So we have this beast, right, who I guess was mean to this old woman, and she's actually a witch. She casts a spell on him, and he turns into this hideous beast. And he has until this, like, magical rose, the last petal falls to basically, like, redeem himself and find, find, find love Someone to love him yes. despite his outward ugly appearance. Yes. And so Belle, um, I think, yeah. You know what's actually, pause for a second. So cool is when I was a kid, I also saw uh, Beauty and the Beast on the ice. Oh. I, I remember this very vividly. It was really cool. The scene where um, her father is like running through the forest was really cool. You know, they have these like people on skates like as wolves like chasing after him and i think he just like finds the beast's castle he gets like lost because his horse like gets spooked or something and he's at this castle he goes in and it's cold and snowy and gross and the beast probably thinks that he's coming to steal his riches because yeah. in, in the animated movie, if you look around, there are... Well, he was a prince, wasn't he? Yeah, he's a prince. And they have, you know, this is France, and I'm guessing it's probably the 1700s-ish. They have all of these gorgeous paintings. If you look in the background, there's like a bunch of uh, Lenores and the girl with the pearl earring mm-hmm. and, um, you know, all these big fancy things. So he, he got money. He got money. <laughs> he's royal and uh, kidnaps him and... Belle's like out looking for him, right? Mm-hmm. And then she finds she him. like finds the carriage or carriage whatever. or whatever. Long story short, she um she's basically like you know I'll stay in your place, and so she has to live with the beast, and she through sheer good personality or whatever is able to you know bring out the good side of him because he's obviously very like grumpy i mean he's been this way for years and he's very harsh with her and is mean and all but also all of his furniture is 
they were his like servants they were all uh enchanted into like you know lumiere the candlestick and uh Cogsworth. Cogsworth the clock and you know Mrs. Potts and her Chip. son Chip and it's all very cute and uh you know they eventually fall in love and side plot Gaston the like big manly man of uh the town wants to marry Belle and she's like uh-uh I am not into you and he's like well what I I'm muscular and hairy and manly. Like, why don't you want to be I with me? I eat raw eggs for breakfast. <laughs> and so he finds out that, you know, she's being held captive. I say that in quotations by the beast. And he, you know, leads all the townspeople to go kill him. He ends up dying. And the beast, you know, has this big, you know, realizing, you know, he should be a better person. And this just huge change in who he is this uh what's the word i'm looking for the phrase not coming of age but like revelation yeah like something just like well i think it's he like sacrifices himself for her kind of way he it's like a selfless act and in the animated one there's like when he changes back to a human there's all these like lasers and i remember (laughs) thinking like that's a little weird lasers and uh he comes back to be a man and they fall in love and everything is disenchanted and it becomes beautiful and all the gross vines and everything (laughs) peels away and it's like this gorgeous castle oh and it looks really scary and like run down from the outside and And then then it becomes beautiful yeah happily ever after so again i'm not the biggest fan of this musical the music is great i mean be our guest is a great song Beauty and the Beast, of course, is a wonderful song. Um, Belle is a good song, too. It's it's really fun. And um, the live-action remake with my fave, Emma Watson. Um, love her, Hermione Granger forever. And now she's like an activist for, you know, women's rights. She's wonderful. However, I think she was a horrible choice to play live-action Belle. She's beautiful and she's a great actress. She can't sing. And that's what I hated about the song bell in the live action remake it's you can tell how edited it is and i don't like it it wasn't good um however this was the like beginning of this kind of like crazy renaissance of disney movies and the next one that came out actually was after beauty and the beast was um aladdin but the next most popular one voted by our peeps which it's my fave mulan. mulan and mulan is so amazing you guys mulan is everything about it is great it has a great cast it has a great score and soundtrack that is uh i just found out the um you know the the main song i, I would say the, the two biggest songs from this film are um i'll make a man out of you and then reflection of course i'll make a man out of you though i just found out that the singing voice was donny osmond amazing i didn't know that um but this film came out in 1998 and they put a ton of press behind this mm-hmm. um you may know about sejuan sauce from rick and morty um disney got with mcdonald's to bring that out and i think we talked about it the last episode there was just so much marketing behind it it's based on a real story it's about you know the huns invading china and there is this huge war and they basically say every household has to have the eldest 
man in the house come and fight for the emperor's army. And Mulan's father is super weak because he was already a soldier and he's an Mm -hmm. old man. She doesn't have any brothers. So essentially in the middle of the night, she sneaks off. She cuts her hair, puts on his armor, takes the horse, goes to the camp, and she's ping and (laughs) pretends to be a man at this camp with all these other ruffians who have never fought. It's essentially a draft and it's just these basic townspeople, these men. comedic gold. (laughs) It's great. Eddie Murphy plays Mushu, her little sidekick dragon, and he's incredible in this movie. He is. It's probably one of his best roles, aside from, you know, Donkey, Donkey. of course. (laughs) Shang, who is, uh, like, the leader of this, like, camp, um, basically has to whip all these guys into shape, and all of them are, you know, pretty pathetic, but you know, by the end of all, make a man out of you, you know, the whole sequence of them, you know, building up their strength and training, you know, they're more prepared. And unfortunately, uh, Shang's father is the general. Um, They kind of fake a way into, you know, getting them out into the battlefield. Uh, Mushu kind of helps lead that. And when they get there, they're all dead. Mm -hmm. You know, the the power of the Huns is more than than they thought. And so... uh, they um in this in the big battle scene with you know the avalanche which is incredible and is animated beautifully um mulan actually saves um the remaining you know soldiers including shang and um they presume that all the huns are dead and they're not but they find out because mulan is injured that she is a woman and um at this time in china I assume, I don't think it's just as simple as women weren't allowed to fight, but she deceived the army, and so she's supposed to be killed, but Shang is like, well, you saved my life, so now I'm going to save yours. But she... Stay behind, and we're going to go to the emperor. Yeah, and then she sees the Huns, the few of them that survived, making their way towards, you know, the city. She goes to warn everybody, and she ends up saving the day, and... uh China recognizes her for her amazing courage and strength and uh, the emperor you know I I love the line where he's like you destroyed my palace and you did all these bad things and you saved us all and everybody bows to her and it's oh it's amazing I know I did too (laughs) it's It's amazing so beautiful and from an American perspective yeah it looks gorgeous you know they have the lanterns they have the dragons they do um, different mandarin writings when they are writing these notes and whatnot but it was super poorly received in china really yes they were because the lion king did so well in china they ate it up but they thought that it was kind of provocative the way that it was like portrayed Hmm. and um you know they only allowed so many foreign films per year i think they still do only allow so many foreign films per year in china it's probably different with the internet now but they released this movie but people didn't really like it the historical inaccuracies um some of the dub over i guess wasn't good jackie chan did some of the dub over really which is hilarious Um, But they thought it was too different from the myths that they had heard because, you know, the the Huns were so, they permeated every part of China and Russia in this 
in this time and their, you know, Chinese culture is so enriched with mythical stories and whatnot, people just didn't really like the realness behind it, the historical accuracies that they tried to paint. But um, I think out of these movies, it's one of the most beautifully animated Mm -hmm. and just the way that they have these great wide shots these beautiful scenes i mean the battle scenes compared to these other movies i mean there's not really a lot of close intense battling and i don't know i just really love it it's very so good it's very emotional too you know it really kind of hits you especially the scene where they come across the the general and his his soldiers all gone is is really hard to watch it's very sad um, and the ending, like we said, is very moving. Um, on the opposite side of the spectrum, it actually did very, very, very well in the United States. Um, and actually, the f- a few of the films um, in between The Lion King and Mulan, uh, Pocahontas, Hunchback of Notre Dame, did not do very well. And um, it was uh, Disney was still vulnerable to competition from like DreamWorks and Pixar, which were picking up steam. And Mulan actually kind of um, restored the commercial and critical standing of their animating team. It earned $304 million worldwide. Yeah. So. And it's crazy because uh, the year before that is when Hercules came out. And they spent half as much promoting Mulan than they did Hercules. And Mulan was, I mean, in my opinion, it's... It's one of the biggest successes to come out of this. I mean, they're all great successes, but I think it's really, really up there. And, you know, some of these other films, uh, you know, Pocahontas obviously had a Native American character, but there's a lot of white people in it. Um, This film is all Chinese people, Mm -hmm. which is pretty amazing. And, for you know, they... Except for Eddie Murphy, but... (laughs) He's a dragon. But they had um, some Chinese people or people of Asian descent also voice a lot of the actors too, which is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. I totally agree. Moving on to um, Aladdin, which came out in 1992. So Aladdin takes place in this fictional Arab city, Agrabah, and he is this kind of street rat dude with his monkey Abu, and he essentially is kind of stealing just to give to the poor and feed himself. He, you know, steals a loaf of bread and um, whatnot. That's one of the famous, like, kind of scenes in the opening of the movie. And um, one night, Jasmine the princess, who is the, the daughter of the sultan and is trying to be arranged into a marriage, escapes and um, is trying to take an apple and give it to a little boy which lands her in deep doo-doo with the guards. And Aladdin essentially, you know, saves her from these royal guards, returns her back to her home, only for Jasmine to find out that Jafar ordered Aladdin to be captured because he says that Aladdin kidnapped her. Um, Jafar is this just like creepy, really, really old dude that wants to marry Jasmine because he, he wants to be rich. He's like a real weird character. He, I, I love him though as a villain though. Like he's like kind of like androgynous and like he reminds me of like him from Powerpuff Girls, you know? Mm-hmm. 
Totally. And he also, um, is he like a sorcerer as well? Yes. He has he has magical powers. He has magical powers. And Aladdin is in this dungeon and his monkey is able to free him. And then there's this really old dude there who is like, I need your help getting to the Cave of Wonders. Help me. Spoiler, this old dude is Jafar uh-huh. because he needs... Aladdin's help to to get into these to get the lamp to get the caves of wonder to get into the cave of wonders he says touch anything but the lamp etc they go deep into this cavern which is like the sand lion in the middle of the desert and um, super creepy but like amazing CGI it's really cool it's pretty great that that lion and like all the sand coming up from Mm -hmm. nothing and the glowing and it's pretty great and you know they see all these gold and riches around that's where they meet the magic carpet which is amazing it's like this little like puppy (laughs) sort of thing that kind of follows them around and of course they go to try and get the lamp get the lamp um and they um at the same time when they are, um, you know, taking this lamp, the monkey grabs like a ruby and then everything starts to like fall apart. So then they have to fly out on the magic carpet and the beggar guy is trying to like kill him to get the lamp because obviously he wants the three magic wishes. They're on this magic carpet trying to escape. The beggar guy, who's Jafar, wants to stab them with that crooked a knife yeah and abu ends up biting him and aladdin and abu fall back into the cave with the lamp and the beggars like left out and the the lion head tiger head in the desert just like falls away fails to be back in the cave aladdin and abu in the magic carpet they rub you know this lamp while they are examining it genie comes out robin williams amazing and um he just like killed it with this role can we just pause and talk about robin williams for a second it was recently the anniversary of his death and this is one of his absolute best roles they actually animated around him because of how just amazing and animated he was in his voice and how he did this character he ad-libbed so many of the lines mm-hmm. and he is just a total goofball the way they animate it they go all around like all the different things that he he does as a voice actor in this role they really go i can't even say we could just talk and like have a whole episode just about robin williams specifically in this role but in general but we will move on so good so essentially you know jafar is like oh if she don't get married she can marry me oh yeah he like hypnotizes the sultan basically yeah well aladdin gets all dressed up he's prince ali he whisks jasmine away yeah he makes his first wish right to be like rich Rich. and whatever and uh he takes her on this magic carpet ride we get our amazing song whole new world so good and um you know it's basically this never-ending battle between aladdin and jafar trying to win jasmine and jasmine trying to get with aladdin and she finds out that he lied to her because she's like oh you look familiar she recognizes him from the street when they first met but she's not she can't quite put her finger on it and she's you know upset about that um but i forget how but jafar ends up getting access to the genie and he's like completely abusing his power 
and um, and there's nothing the genie can do about it. You know, he has to like basically work against Aladdin, even though he doesn't want to. Eventually, Jafar like wishes to become a genie. You know, he wants to be able to have this ultimate power, and um, he gets put back into the lamp. And uh, then Aladdin makes the wish for genie to be free. And he no longer has to, you know, work for other people. It's a very kind of a sad scene now to watch knowing what happened to Robin Williams. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's a great scene in the movie. Aladdin and Jasmine get married and there were a couple sequels. So the story continued after this. But that's how the first one ends on a very, you know, happily ever after like they all do. The fourth movie on our list is The Lion King, which is one of the best animated films of all time in my opinion and i think that's just a universal truth absolutely it's the 39th highest grossing film worldwide of all time nice and it earned 448 million dollars at the box office and in the u.s but 900 968.4 million nearly a billion dollars on this film which is like so cuckoo bananas that it was able to do that and we know kind of the basics of the lion king there in pride rock and in africa in africa and mufasa rules and he tells simba when you grow up you will be the king of all of this land and make sure that everybody takes care of one another yada yada they're out running around one day mufasa gets trampled by some wildebeest his His brother scar actually kind of orchestrates all of it because he's obviously jealous that he does not have the power that his brother does he was kind of cast out of society and he you know has this we never really learn but kind of a dark past and he kind of hangs out with all the hyenas and you know is kind of on his own so he orchestrates the death of Mufasa and casts Simba away so he can take over Pride Rock. And when he does, everything falls apart. There's like a famine. They can't find food. They can't find water. Um, and true to the way of lions, the females are supposed to go out and hunt, but there's nothing. I mean, it's basically a wasteland once Scar takes over um, because I think the hyenas kind of take everything. And Simba pieces out. Yep. And that's when he finds Timon and Pumbaa and um decides he's gonna live you know this carefree life and kind of forgets his past or you know scar made him believe that the death of his father was his own fault when it obviously wasn't um and then nala goes out nala his his love interest slash best friend from his past goes out looking for help and finds him they all thought simba was dead um and she's like you need to come back we're in trouble and he's like no i can't i'm you know I can't go back there and eventually you know he after seeing his father's ghost remember who you are uh james earl jones amazing um decides to go back to pride rock take what is rightfully his he uh, exposes the truth about scar that scar actually is the one who killed mufasa um and he takes over as king and it's amazing has an amazing cast we have obviously james earl jones as mufasa we have matthew broderick as the adult simba uh nathan lane as timon and um jonathan taylor thomas is young simba yeah. <laughs> um it's a it's a, just a great 
great, great, great movie. And obviously one of the most successful Disney films of all time. It became a Broadway musical. It has a live action remake, like we said. It's probably one of the most like sought after Broadway musicals and most successful. And what's interesting is they really go back to the African traditions. Most of the cast is of some sort of African descent. And they... Just like the soundtrack did use some um, different African-inspired music and true music from artists in Africa, the the musical really hones in on that, mm-hmm. which is which is pretty cool. The it's remake. Beautiful. One thing I do want to bring up is that um, at the time it, it was the highest-grossing animated film, and it remains the highest-grossing traditionally animated film in history. Um, it won the Academy Award for Best Original Song and Score. And uh, as you know, Elton John was responsible for writing a lot of the songs in the movie. ABBA was originally offered that, and they turned it down. They were busy with the musical. Yeah, well, uh, Whoops. Elton John did a great job. So. And Hans Zimmer was the composer on this film as well. Um can you feel the love tonight is so dope it is honestly so dope there's not a single song in the lion king soundtrack that isn't amazing yeah i mean hakuna matata is iconic everyone knows what that means and i just can't wait to be king is great be prepared is a great villain song yes circle of life yes um it's just all amazing Our last film to review in our top five is Hercules, came out in 1997. This is one of Jamie's faves. It is. It's my favorite. Oh, I love it. And I'm so disappointed at so many. I think we only had one other vote for Hercules, which made me sad. And as we discussed earlier, it also did not do very well. I mean, it did well, but it didn't do. It they wasn't got some as return, successful. Yeah, they got definitely got return on their money. It was $85 million budget, which is pretty large in my opinion um box office it did uh 252 million um worldwide which compared to lion king is freaking peanuts yeah but um i mean hercules is the story of of the great gods which is amazing we have the muses telling the story of hercules which as i later learned in life is incredibly inaccurate but it's Disney and it's fun and it has a happy ending. Um, You're like, oh, I've heard that word or that name before, Zeus. But <laughs> So Zeus and Hera have um, Hercules and Hades played by uh, James Woods. Um, Who's amazing. He does so great in this. Um, he uh, is basically, you know, he rules the underworld. He you know, doesn't have all of the power and the popularity that his brother Zeus does. And there's this prophecy that, you know, he will rule the world. Um, During some like planetary alignment, so long as Hercules doesn't interfere. I think it's like his 18th birthday or something. And yeah, but if Hercules fights him, he will fail. And so he sends out his little uh, minions, pain and panic to go kill him basically. And they almost succeed. They gave him this like, potion that's going to take away all of his godly powers 
Um, but he doesn't drink the last drop. And so he still has, you know, godlike strength. And so that's the one thing that he still has. Unfortunately, he can't go back up to like the Greek heavens. He has to stay on earth and basically prove himself to become a god. And so he's like found by his like adoptive parents. He has this great little metal on. Mm-hmm. He's such a cute little bumbling baby. And mm-hmm. he's like super strong, which kind of leads him to being an outcast yeah. as he grows up. There's that great scene in the. I don't know if you would call it like the Acropolis or the city city center where he knocks over all those yeah. pillars and breaks all the pottery and nobody wants to play, you know, frisbee with him because he's so strong and he's a freak, dorky, yeah, because he doesn't know his own strength. So his adoptive parents are like, you know, give him this medal, and they send him out to, uh, you know, go find his destiny, and he. Um, go basically he finds a philatides played by danny devito amazing um who trains him to become a god and he basically again has to prove himself to zeus prove himself to the gods that he is worthy and he has to you know beat up all these monsters and has to you know he fights the hydra the hydra, the hydra god um which is another cgi scene that is incredible um but none of this is enough he still has to prove himself basically he has to sacrifice himself for for somebody else and that's where megara comes in his love interest she actually has this like deal with hades like i guess she had a boyfriend and he you know I, they have some sort of deal going he on sold she sold her, her soul, soul to, to him. him to save her ex-lover but he was he left her yes and so she is stuck with hades and um she eventually she has to like find out his weakness and she is his weakness and so there's a scene where um all these like i don't even are they like underworld gods oh those are the fates of the underworld okay the fates and you know hades he captures meg and takes her to the underworld no she dies because oh. the pillar hits her, and um, Hercules doesn't make it back in time to save her, because he's saving Zeus and killing all the fates, and so he decides to go to the underworld and rescue her. He like jumps into this like pit of souls, yeah, and he just before he dies, he like like they have this like literally like you know a string that they're gonna you know cut and it's his lifeline, and they can't because he you know what he did to save and sacrifice his life for meg is worthy of him becoming a god and so he gets to go up to heaven mount olympus mount olympus yes not heaven and uh but he can't because well he can but meg can't because she's still a mortal and he decides to stay on earth with her as opposed to uh going up with his family what he's worked the whole film for which is beautiful um also at the same time kind of like oh you did all this work but but for love for love it was all for love it was for love and um obviously jamie mentioned this is not very historically accurate the only part of it that is are like the names of the characters and kind of the way that they are related family wise obviously this is a fake story (laughs) but then some of the other things that they attribute to these gods and goddesses and everything with the underworld is kind of all over the place but um it's got great 
um, music in it, of course, the iconic scene with all of those ladies on the jug. The muse, muses. Yeah, the muses. Zero like, to hero. Yes. So amazing. Um, you know, they, they did tons of, you know, writing and storyboard editing with, you know, with all of this. It was This was actually pitched, um, this film was pitched to the storyboard directors or whatnot um, after giving everyone in the room two minutes to come up with the simple pitch for their next movie. Somebody came up with Hercules, which is kind of great. That was like way back in 92, though, and then they kind of reprised reprised this. Um, Just kind of like with Mulan, the Greeks were really not happy with this movie because of the historical inaccuracies, which I can understand. Um, it's still a great film though it is not accurate but no no it um it is you know a great film but they said these foreigners distorting (laughs) our history just to suit their commercial interests which that is that's kind of the plan with this whole disney renaissance thing and a lot of people might not know that the lion king is a ripoff of a japanese film from the 60s yeah it's not original either but you know sometimes we ignore and it's kind of about we, we it's don't like, like kind of about hamlet in a way yeah. i think they kind of like the story of hamlet and yeah i think it's kimba is the lion kimba the lion kimba um, and simba wow real original <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> um but yeah that is our top five 90s disney animated films um we are going to talk about the disney renaissance but first we're going to talk about what else we're watching Now let's take a quick break for our segment, Side Streaming, where we catch up on some of the other content we're currently watching on Netflix, Hulu, Prime, and more. All right, so Allison, what are you watching? So much to my, I guess, it was a poor choice of me to stay up late and finish this, but I finished season five of Jane the Virgin, the last season. I wanted to watch that show. You guys, if you have not watched this show, it is so wholesome. It sounds a little like scary, you know, Jane the Virgin, but essentially it's about this girl, Jane Gloriana Villanueva, who is all about preserving her virginity and she gets accidentally artificially inseminated with this rich hotel heirs semen and becomes pregnant as a virgin and um it's this crazy story about her life uh jane and her family are all venezuelan and it's in miami so the narrator has like a latino accent and there are a lot of themes that go around uh latin culture and it's kind of like a telenovela they always say that they do flash flashbacks to telenovelas and it's uh, very much kind of in that sitcom telenovela style. It's so great. It's so pure. Uh, Gina Rodriguez, who plays Jane, won an Emmy for her performance. She's so incredible and beautiful and such a great actress. I love this. Another thing that I watched, sorry if I mentioned it last week, The Great Hack on Netflix about Cambridge Analytica, how everyone's information from Facebook got stolen and this this firm essentially used it to influence the marketing behind 
the Donald Trump campaign and also the Brexit campaign, which are probably two of the most divisive uh, decisions uh, left to a major vote in the 21st century thus far. So it's very interesting about it how, how that all goes down. And uh, this week, by the time this comes out, the season finale of Handmaid's Tale will have come out. Oh my god. I love it. And then I'm also watching Bachelor in Paradise. Sorry, everyone. I know you're disappointed in me, (laughs) but I'm addicted to the drama and I need to watch Bachelor in Paradise because it makes me feel like a sane person when I watch it. (laughs) That's how I feel like when I watch um, like America's Next Top Model. I love just trashy reality TV. Although I do appreciate a lot about America's Next Top Model, like the photography from, you know, an artistic standpoint. What I'm watching is um, over the weekend, over last weekend, I should say, I watched all of season three of Glow, which was just released on Netflix last week. Um, If you are not familiar with Glow, it is a Netflix original. Again, three seasons. um, Stars Allison Brie, um, among a few other uh, great actors. uh, And it's about the gorgeous ladies of wrestling in the 1980s um season three is uh where they go to uh vegas for their uh their vegas show and um it was pretty good i think you know in my opinion it wasn't as good as the other seasons it was still good and still leaves it open for uh more seasons to come i I honestly don't know what the plan is with this show but um it was good you know i i do really like the story but um wasn't exactly what I wanted it to be um also re-watching Parks and Rec it's either Parks and Rec or The Office for me you know you have that show that like while you're scrolling on your phone or you're doing something else or you're like trying to fall asleep you'll watch like those are those shows for me that I'll just watch over and over and over not really absorbing every episode but doing that with Parks and Rec right now and then also I haven't started it yet but there's a little limited series on Netflix as well called the family yes about basically the illuminati and how there's this like religious family that has their claws in like the whole world government and it's looks terrifying and i really want to watch it yes i watched they have like seven different trailers for it on netflix (laughs) i watched them all and it's like essentially this it's kind of like the way that they set it up and from what I can surmise is kind of like people talking about how they got out of Scientology. They talk, you know, it's like this Christian fraternity where they're all in this family and all of these big people that are on the world stage with these, you know, great world leaders, the national prayer breakfast, like all of these different things are orchestrated by this, I assume, hyper Christian group you've got to be Christian, like going, like projecting themselves as Christian and, and doing things for the greater good. And it looks so fascinating. I think religious cults are probably, religious fanatic cults are one of the most fascinating things to me. I could watch I agree. endless documentaries on Scientology or cult and extreme beliefs on E. I've watched that like three times. And all of these different things. I think they're crazy. And I'm going to watch that this week. I'm really, really into it. And there's something else that I wanted to give a look this week. You know, I haven't watched Glow. 
and I know that you you're mad at Glow. me. <laughs> but you also haven't watched Handmaid's Tale. That's true. So we are on. We'll have to watch each other's shows. Yes. Um, there's also this great show that people keep talking about that maybe we'll review in a future episode, which is called The Boys. Yes. On Amazon Prime. There are several people who have told me, granted all gentlemen have told me to watch <laughs> it, but it looks to be about kind of a marvel vigilante dudes who go after people who commit crimes and it looks pretty badass so we may give that a go and that is what we're watching now and now back to our review all right everybody we are going to go back into our review of I guess we'll just call it a review of the Disney Renaissance era, which is uh, the years of 1989 to 1999. Ten years of amazing animation and family cinema. So um, we talked about, again, the top five films that you guys voted for, which, again... Excuse our shuffling of papers. There's a lot of notes. <laughs> There's a lot of notes. Um, the top five films that you guys voted for um, all are in the Disney Renaissance, but also there is uh, Hunchback of Notre Dame came out in 96, Rescuers Down Under 1990, Pocahontas 1995, and Tarzan 1999. Tarzan is another one of my absolute faves. And um, I really just wanted to kind of talk about the Disney Renaissance. I find it so fascinating. It's more than just these amazing movies that came out when we were kids. There's a whole, like, really interesting story behind it so um you know back in the you know the 30s the 40s the 50s is what they call disney's golden era you know of all these original fairy tales uh that you know they turned into movies snow white um sleeping beauty Beauty. cinderella um i mean not even animation but like i think about like mary poppins Mm -hmm. you know they had all these great movies and this was when Walt Disney was still alive and he was really pushing on the parks too. The mm-hmm. parks were really growing. You know, there was yep. Epcot and Disney World and Disneyland and all these different parks going on, all these different kind of moving parts of Disney as a whole. Yep. And then in 1966, Walt Disney died and um, the studio was left to the hands of Don Tatum, Card Walker, and Ron Miller. And after the death of Walt and Roy O. Disney is basically like a 20-year period where the animation studio really suffered. Um, there are still some good films that came out during that time. Um, like, I think the Aristocats is one of those. Um, like, Fox and the Hound. Dude, I Oliver love that company. movie when I was a kid. Oliver and Company is dope. Oliver and Company is amazing. That was, like, more the tail end. But um, the these films did not perform well commercially. Um, and the studio suffered a huge blow in Don Bluth, who was a longtime animator, left and started his own studio, Don Bluth Productions. And he took 20%, almost 20%, I should say, of Disney's animators at the time. So Disney really, really suffered from that. Um, Don Bluth Productions produced Secret of Nim and Land Before Time. And um, that movie is good. That movie is amazing. And also sparked, like, I think, like 20 sequels. Um, and the company eventually became Disney's main competitor and, um, Disney was, you know, at risk of going under and, um, they made a huge change in the eighties, um, by hiring Michael Eisner, who was formerly with Paramount 
um, to be CEO in 1984. He was also joined by Jeffrey Katzenberg, um, as you probably remember, who was a big hand in The Little Mermaid, Mm -hmm. which was the start of the Disney Renaissance. Yes, they pour. They had this huge, like, kind of save Disney campaign where you know they got together and decided, okay, like we basically need to revamp. We need to up the ante with our animation. You know, they had used this old technique that really started with 101 Dalmatians of the first movie to use this technique of you know painting over and tracing, or this this new technique was different than the tracing over. But when you watch those movies, um, they look kind of scratchy and yeah. like they're not smooth. You can see that, you know, they kind of almost like vibrate a little bit when you watch them. It's hard to describe, but if you look at Aristocats, 101 Dalmatians, Oliver and Company, um, even the Black Cauldron, which was like the demise, that was like <laughs> the dark cherry on top of this shit Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> to be frank, as far as the animation goes, it just wasn't great. So they kind of launched this whole, this, you know, campaign, this Michael Eisner, he he was um, brought in to kind of revamp the animation studios and put out some quality content. Mm-hmm. And um, as you remember, The Little Mermaid was in the works since the 30s. And basically World War II kind of put like a huge halt in a whole bunch of um, just animated films in general. I mean, that's not really what people were interested in at the time. There wasn't a lot of money out there for it. Um, but before Little Mermaid, there were a few films that came out that were the beginning of the resurgence of Disney's animated films. So like The Great Mouse Detective in 1986, Oliver and Company in 1988. Also um, in 1988, Disney collaborated with Steven Spielberg, Um, And they made Who Framed Roger Rabbit, which was a huge success, um, which incorporated live action and animation. People loved it because it was something like they really hadn't seen before. And it won three Academy Awards, which I did not know. Yeah. Which is amazing. They were able to raise like $300 million to begin Who Framed Roger Rabbit. And then they had all of these big animated movies. Like we said, they had one come out like every year. They had, you know, The Little Mermaid. And then they did Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin, Lion King. And they did other things like side projects aside from these big feature films like DuckTales, mm-hmm. um, The Gargoyles. I remember that one. That's crazy. And... Um, you know, they move their revenue started to steadily increase like 20% year over year with these different releases, mm-hmm. which was great. We touched a little bit on all of these films and different personal achievements that they all uh, made. Like, like I said, uh, Beauty and the Beast um, was nominated for Best Academy Award for Best Picture, Lost to Silence of the Lambs, um, but it did win the Golden Globe for Best Picture, Musical, or Comedy, two Academy Awards, Original Score and Original Song. It also received a nomination for Best Sound and two for Best um, two additional nominations for Best Original Song, which is amazing. Um, Aladdin was the highest grossing animated film at the time. The Lion King surpassed it. Um, and both films won awards for best original song, best score. Um, and then, um, at the same time, like in between that, 
um, The Nightmare Before Christmas came out, which is not technically part of the Renaissance, but it is a Disney movie, also came out, um, and Tim Burton, who was a former Disney animator, and we now know kind of went off and did his own thing and has his own creepy list of films that we all love. Um, And thanks to the success of these earlier films, they were able to... um, get a 240,000 square foot building to continue to expand on um, their animation studio. And in 95, they partnered with Pixar to create Toy Story. Again, we're not talking about Pixar, but this was before Disney owned Pixar. Yeah. And this was the very first Pixar film that ever came out. And it was Disney's first fully computer animated film. Not to gloss over this either. They put their employees and their animators through the freaking ringer with these films they had them working around the clock people couldn't have families they couldn't do anything else they had two different animation studios one in anaheim i think and i can't remember the other one is um and anaheim is where disneyland is yes they had these huge studios that was where a lot of the talent they would get would come from and um you know it was grueling but they were hell-bent on this huge resurgence into into the animation studios they had some hiccups along the way um katzenberg uh he pieced out in 96 and he started dreamworks and i think this time is also when a lot of other animation studios really started to up their game as far as the films that they put out too Mm -hmm. i mean dreamworks has some great successes we talk about shrek that is a huge success outside of the Disney circuit. Because I think, you know, a lot of people think about movies they watched when they were kids. If you were born in the 80s or 90s, you really think a lot about Disney movies. But there are so many other films. Yeah. Um, one of my favorite movies of all time is The Prince of Egypt. And that's a DreamWorks film. Mm-hmm. It's not a Disney movie. But it has a lot of the same elements. You know, it's got this historical retelling, all-star cast, amazing you know music in it because i'm going to steal this from what jamie said earlier i think before we started recording you can watch a movie so many times but you can sing a movie and listen to the soundtrack hundreds of times Mm -hmm. over and that's what made all these films successful is they had this like broadway style soundtrack with these amazing voices songs that we still sing to this day and still know to this day like i have a um I follow a Disney playlist on Spotify that I play for my son when I'm making dinner. And like, I still sing along and like, I I know he's going to eventually learn these songs. And like other people who have kids, like, you know, watch all these classics, like they're, they're truly standing the test of time. I think almost entirely on the soundtrack. I mean, the the animation, of course, I do not want to downplay the animation is gorgeous. And during this time is when they really started to, uh, start adapting to the changing of times you know you were at the turn of the century and computer animation started becoming a more common thing and if you notice in all of these films there is a little bit of cgi and it's very new and you can it's funny to watch because i did just watch hercules recently and the scene with the hydra is cgi and you can tell how different it is from the rest of the animation which is still hand-drawn but it's it's interesting to see like the change and how you know beautiful the these the design of all these films was the scale of how big these worlds are and it's just incredible what they were able to do over time 
I think after this, you know, um, gosh, what came out in 2000 was, or 1999 was Tarzan. But then a lot of the films after this kind of changed and started yeah. to have a different sort of, I guess you would say, like formula, like we talked about. The next movie that came out in 2000 is Emperor's New Groove. It doesn't really have any music in it. Um, that Still movie, an amazing film, though, but yeah, totally different. That movie is so good. And then they kind of go into some other, like, more live-action movies, I think, with Disney. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and but... Pixar really took off, too, around this time. Yes, it did. And, like I said, DreamWorks really took off. They had... Disney, I mean, they had some more flops in this era following 1999. Dinosaur, you know that movie? I actually really like that movie. <laughs> Jamie. I just love dinosaurs, though. I think that's mm. why I like it. The story itself is meh. But no. I, I mean, like it dinosaurs. was like great at the time. And I remember it very specifically because we went to that movie for my ninth birthday. And all my friends said it sucked. And I was embarrassed. But <laughs> um, they had some more flops. It was also kind of as sad as it is right after 9-11 was in 2001 and the parks really suffered because of that so there was this kind of like scrambling between all the different entities Mm -hmm. too you know it was just you know changing the times more competition with these other animation studios it just um they kind of got this head start and they had these golden years the new golden years i would say because the golden years were back in the 60s and whatnot but um, that was kind of, I think, like the highest point in the Disney animation to date. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, all of these films grossed over $3 billion worldwide. Whoa. Billions and billions, billions and, and billions. billions. But really, I mean, just, I mean, Seriously. what is it, like 10 movies that gross that much? That's insane. I mean, that's unheard of. The lowest grossing one <laughs> was Hercules, if you can believe it. $253 million worldwide. In the U.S., it only did actually... No, one. actually, it was Rescuers Down Under. Oh. It was only $47 million. Do oh. not shit all over my Hercules. <laughs> I was talking about from 1989. Oh, wait. I'm looking at the wrong thing. Sorry. <laughs> Mobby. Yes, Rescuers Down Under. That movie is good. I used to watch it at my grandma's house all the time. It was like the only movie that she had. came out in 1990. It's crazy. $3.3 billion in a span of 10 years. When I try to think about like from like 2000 to 2010, I can't really think of any like poignant Disney films, like animated films. That was like the reigning of Pixar in my opinion. Yeah, you had Finding Nemo and But that Monsters didn't come out until like 2004. But you had like, you know, the Toy Story sequels. You had uh, Finding Nemo, Monsters, Inc. Lilo um, and Stitch. Yeah, Lilo and Stitch was one of their... Um, but I think I remember Home on the Range, which I've never seen and I don't think was very successful, was one of Disney's very last like hand animated films before they started going into computer animation i'm pretty sure princess and the frog is still hand-drawn if i'm not mistaken but it didn't really start picking up again until about the late 2000s into the 10s and if you recall that formula 
kind of restarted again. We have princesses again. You know, we have Princess Tiana from Princess and the Frog. We have Rapunzel from Tangled, um, Anna and Elsa from Frozen. I mean, and all of these, aside from Princess and the Frog, are CGI and computer animated. You Mm -hmm. know, Disney is starting to get with the times, and we have all these big Disney films again. Some of these movies are like princessy movies. The main character is a woman. Then in 2000s and beyond, we get more characters that are also, it's kind of half and half, like male-centric characters and Mm -hmm. female-centric characters. I mean, Finding Nemo, like you said, Princess and the Frog, Emperor's New Groove, uh, The Incredibles, WALL-E, Treasure Planet, that movie was good. Ratatouille, uh, Brother Bear, Home on the Range, Chicken Little, Up, um, just so many of these other films are kind of half and half as far as female to male main mm-hmm. characters. Whereas I feel, well, I don't know. I, I guess I should say that the these other films of uh, the 90s, they are kind of half and half. The thing that... I see more Disney princesses yeah. in this kind of realm. They're still going back to the princesses that they were kind of... Yeah. Where they found success initially. But Disney also bought out, I mean, they're a huge global giant. I mean, they own Pixar, they own Marvel, they own Star Wars, they own ESPN. I mean, they own so much that they can't, that they don't really need to worry about, you know, making these beautiful animated films anymore. And I mean, there are some great Pixar films. I mean, Coco is amazing and has also has an amazing soundtrack. Moana has an amazing soundtrack. Both of these are Pixar films, but they're also Disney films. Mm-hmm. And it's a good and a bad thing. You know, Disney now owns basically everything. And they own Fox too, I'm pretty sure. They own everything. So they don't have to rely on animated films like they did. And I mean, like I said, there's still some great films that have come out that I like and I know my kids will like but it will not compare to just that age where these incredible films beautifully hand-drawn um we still have great voices you know in these new movies and we still have great computer animation but it's just not the same I think it's interesting too in um these earlier Disney films the voice actors that they have in some cases, they are the one who sings for their characters, also the voice actor. They're from Broadway. I mean, mm-hmm. they are not these, you know, big... I, I think about the most recent Lion King movie. They had Beyonce in it, and they had Seth Rogen, Billy Eichner, and Childish Gambino, a.k.a. Donald Glover. They had so many high-profile people, mm-hmm. and it flopped, in my opinion. I haven't seen it, but I think it got like a 5.2% out of 10 on Rotten Tomatoes. They had, you know, they kind of like built it up. And I think in this case, you know, maybe these traditional actors were not meant for the voice acting role. And, you know, these, you know, these singers, these types of movies that they want to do that are like Broadway musicals, that have a reminiscent of Broadway musicals, Bring in Broadway people. I think yeah. that's why Frozen was so successful with Adina Menzel. Yeah. I mean, she was... Adele Nazim. <laughs> Adele Nazim. <laughs> she was brilliant. Jody Benson as Ariel. Um, Kristen Bell is, you know, a traditional, I guess, you know, traditional Hollywood actor. actress. But, I mean, she also has, you know, vocal training. 
definitely so she she succeeded in frozen as well no but i agree with you you know in the, in the 90s we had just not like the talent was better it was just different more i guess just trained for that type of music um and i think too that it's just the stories were just not better written because I don't Disney didn't write all of these themselves I mean they did take fairy tales and they took you know historical stories but I just there's just something different about them and it's really hard to pinpoint what it I mean there's so many little things that you can say like oh it's because of the voices or the animation or whatever it is but I think it was just a time when they were still so small and animated films were just a huge success at the time and, and you know they're what? really not anymore well, now we're doing all these live action versions well you know? there wasn't that much type of groundbreaking entertainment for a ch- like a child audience back then yeah you know the movies that came out they didn't you know if you look at the types of movies that are coming out now if you you know go to the box office and see what comes out this week there's going to be your traditional action drama you know rom-coms etc but there's so many more movies available to children now and so much more content I think for them to consume yeah whereas before you know we had PBS and we had Sesame Street Mr. Rogers and we had a handful of shows that we watch as kids in the 90s and now I mean you can watch Nick Jr. Oh, so much and whatever 24 overwhelming it is there's so many shows but these like it, it's not something that people really missed. You, like, you can't yeah. really miss these movies because of the the uniqueness of them and the high, I guess, production value and the high, you know, the, the audience that was able to reach because of its uniqueness and the fact that it's geared towards children. Mm-hmm. I mean, 30 years before this, you know, in the 60s, you know, the really only show that was out there for kids, there was a handful, but Mr. Rogers was like this groundbreaking thing that he was like, I want to create entertainment for children. And they really got in there, Disney did, by creating these these movies. They're, they're a real moneymaker. I mean, you, you can see the Matrix and think like, oh, that is so cool, but you're not going to go out and buy a bunch of merch that yeah. is Matrix, but you will go out and buy your kid Lion King pajamas, Lion King underwear, Lion King sheets, Lion King backpack, Lion King lunchbox. You'll buy all this stuff for it. So it just kind of, it adds to everything else with the movie mm-hmm. compared to, you know, movies made for adults. It's more of like a franchise. Yeah. The movie is with so many, it's hand in so many different types of products rather than just the feature film. And it's unfortunate because I don't think we'll ever see a renaissance like this ever again. Because you're right, there is so much competition out there. There's some all of these different studios that are making films geared towards children. I mean, I look at like Rotten Tomatoes and like like you said, like the box office, what came out. Half of that stuff, I'm like, what? What is this? I ne- I I never heard of this animated film, and none of them really do that well. And that's what's sad. Is no. it's just kind of just shoveling it out, funneling all of these like films out just for you know, money's sake, but these, these and there's no like original ideas anymore. I know. I don't think there really is with film in general. There's not many original ideas. I mean, I know there are people out there that are huge fans of like Marvel, 
but how many movies are we going to make for Marvel? How many? Sorry, Rich. <laughs> how many different, you know, spinoffs are they going to have where we can actually get an original idea? I feel like the only original ideas that come out these days are rom-coms and then really raunchy comedies. Other than that, there's not really many great, exciting, crazy new ideas for film. Everything else yeah. is based on a book or a remake or an adaptation of something else. There's, you know, these were these great, albeit kind of ripped off of, you know, these old stories. I don't think there's many old stories that people are going to scrounge up and decide that they're going to make a Disney movie about it. Yeah. It's uh, it's just a crazy thing, and it's crazier that it all ended 20 years ago. And it's just, yeah, I guess it is like 20 years ago. It's, I guess the silver lining is, you know, these films aren't going anywhere. We still have them. We can still watch them. And that's the thing with, you know, our show is a lot of these films are on Netflix. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, your number one pick, Beauty and the Beast, is not. Yeah. But Mulan is, Hercules is, The Lion King is, Tarzan is. I don't know if Aladdin is or not. But they're available because people still love them mm-hmm. and want to watch them and want to show them to their kids. And I'm so thankful that we grew up in that time where we got to, I, I remember seeing almost all of these movies in theaters mm-hmm. with my family and buying the sheets and buying the toys and the video games and the clothes. And, and it's not about the commercial part, but it's just how singing the soundtrack in yeah. my kitchen to yeah. little mermaid a hundred times a day to the point where my mom took the CD away. <laughs> and it's just, it's, it's amazing how, you know, big of an impact these films made on our lives and how they're going to continue. Even if, We'll never see a time like this again when this this many groundbreaking box office successes come out in the span of 10 years. Definitely. And Disney knows it because they are creating their own streaming service mm-hmm. in 2020. I think it's called Disney Plus, and it's going to be Disney Plus, ESPN Plus, and Hulu all in a bundle available. And they haven't really come out and said what's all going to be available on Disney Plus. Um, I'm not really interested in anything that they've come out with in the last 10 years. Um, you know, I love shows like That's So Raven mm-hmm. when I was younger. All the Disney Channel original movies that were straight well, they better put those to, on there. to TV. If they put those on there, oh, I'm subscribing. I need to watch Smart House <laughs> and all these different films you know, from that was kind of like a different renaissance in a way. Yeah. Um. You know, it, the it was DCOMs. We can have an episode just about DCOMs. We got these big feature films in the '90s, and then from really from like '90, I would say probably '95, '96, to maybe like 2004, we had all these great Disney Channel original movies mm-hmm. that were available. Um. You know, obviously smaller production, and they were live action, and not a ton of crazy. CGI or special effects, but um, some Still really classics. Yeah, some really, really great stories that I think a lot of people in this age group, you know, the millennial age group will definitely remember. And I think it's smart of Disney, honestly, to pull their things from Netflix and Amazon Prime and try to monetize it in their own way. I'm sure, you know, Netflix is already losing everything NBC mm-hmm. has on their streaming platform, including Parks and Rec, The Office, and Friends. So it's going to be crazy. 
We will have to see what happens and we'll probably do an episode about it. So many things happening in the world of streaming. Absolutely. Well, guys, we don't really have a review for this one because we didn't really review one film, but I think it would be fun if we just talk about our favorite of the top five. And I do love all of these. I would say Beauty and the Beast and Aladdin are lower on my list. The Lion King is amazing. Mulan is amazing. But honestly, Hercules is my favorite out of that top five. I just, I don't know if it's because of my interest in Greek mythology. Again, not 100% accurate, but just having a story about it. I love the music. I love the animation. I love just the story, I guess. Um, it is still one of my favorites. Mulan is definitely a very close second, maybe also tied with the Lion Kings because the Lion King is just, just greatest of all time for sure. But, um, yeah, Hercules. And I'm not going to rate it because I don't think I, I don't think I can. It's just five out of five, six out of five. I don't know. (laughs) Which one's your favorite? I'm going to have to say Mulan, you guys. I just love this movie. The idea of like a strong woman who is going to protect her family, save her father, try and, you know, hide and pretend to be a man just to fight in this war for the entire country of China. She ends up, you know, basically saving the country. It's kind of amazing. And, you know, she falls in love and she's beautiful and all that stuff. But um, it's so beautifully done. I remember watching like the special features on Mulan a zillion years ago and seeing how they had to individually animate all the Huns coming down the mountain with the avalanche and how, how they did all of that to make it look, you know, like water and and all this stuff and um you know the the music in it christina aguilera's you know um she's on the soundtrack yeah my reflection they've got some great like synthesizer sounds in the movie it's just so good in my opinion it's got the perfect amount of comic relief it's also serious and it's just so good as far as as far as these movies go, I would probably have to say Lion King is classic. You got to go with that as yeah. the second one. I think these are all good. They're all fantastic films. It's just which one is your favorite? Yeah. Which one do you find yourself watching all the time? Or, you know, you want your kids to watch or the songs that you sing? I All of them, really. Well, that has been a review of the 90s Disney movies. As Jamie said, a lot of them are available on Netflix. So if you haven't tuned in to... You know, Mulan or Tarzan, The Lion King, be able to find it on there. Give it a rewatch. Maybe it's been a couple of years or a decade or two since you've watched it. You know, it may bring up some real great nostalgic memories. So yeah, give it a watch this weekend if, if you're struggling to figure out what you want to watch. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Atlas Now Streaming. Let us know in the comments what you're watching and if you think we should give it a review. Until next time, keep streaming.